Welcome to Friars and Film. We are three Catholic priests from the Order of Preachers, and we're here, as always, to talk about the movies. Welcome, everyone, to the podcast, Friars and Film. I'm Father Alan Piper, and I'm here, as always, with Fathers Luke Hoyt and Timothy Danaher. Say hi, everybody. Hello, hello. Evening, everyone. And tonight we're looking at the film The Gospel of St. Matthew by uh, Pier Paolo Pasolini. It's a 1964 film, uh, widely regarded to be one of the best lives of Christ uh, on film. And Pasolini was an interesting character, uh, at least for making this kind of film, because he was a, a Marxist atheist. And there's an interesting origin story uh, to this film as well. In 62, Pasolini was invited to a convention put on by ecclesial figures in Assisi, the home of St. Francis. And it was a a convention for Catholic artists and non-Catholic artists. And uh, it was going to be attended by the Pope at the time, John Twenty-third. John Twenty-third's arrival at the convention was so well-received that the traffic was, was too thick, actually, for Pasolini uh, to make it to at least one of the sessions of the, of the convention. So he was confined to his hotel room where I suppose there was a Bible at hand, and he, he ended up reading all four Gospels straight through. And he was so struck by the narrative that all of his other film projects sort of receded into the background and he realized that he had to make a, a life of Christ and he settled on the the gospel of Matthew he was particularly struck by the wording the wording of that gospel all of the lines from the film come from that gospel except for i believe an invitation to Simon of Cyrene to carry the cross and uh, anyway when he made this film he dedicated it to John the 23rd who by that time had died he died in 63 in the film premiered in 64. To get to the film itself, I think one of the most striking features of, of Jesus in this film is that he's a man on a mission. Uh, he's always on the move. There's an urgency and even a, an aggression, a belligerence to his manner. So two ways uh, that the film shows this right at the beginning is when he comes out of the desert, having been tempted by the devil, he, he starts his preaching, his, his sort of public preaching, by articulating what is sort of the thesis of his gospel, namely that the kingdom of heaven is at hand and that people should repent and believe in the gospel. And he says this literally in passing. So when he comes out, he sees some people on the road and he's sort of moving swiftly by them. And they, they both, the, the two parties turn to look at each other as he says, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's, it's not the kind of thing that you normally say just in passing to some stranger on the road. But, you know, there's, an, there's this urgency. And the other thing that's really interesting right at that juncture as well is that when Jesus makes it back to civilization from the desert, there are people um, throwing chaff into the air, winnowing the wheat. And this is an image contained in the gospel itself of what Jesus is about to do. So his, his public ministry is his preaching 
his, uh, his healing, his acting. This is expressed by the metaphor of a winnowing fan. So Jesus is going to be winnowing society, and it's not going to be pleasant for people. It's going to be uh, rather uncomfortable, actually. These are my opening remarks. How does that sit with you? I mean, and yeah, the winnowing fan is is right there at the very beginning. And uh, actually, if you were to describe the way that that, that Christ... Um, character in the movie the figure of christ the way he comes across it really is as a a kind of a winnowing fan yeah he's not he's not nice he's never never sentimental and um and throughout it you just you just sense the divinity just shining through the humanity of 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 uh i guess of of the actor you know who's, who's portraying him um at least as as the experience of the viewer um, which makes me want to, uh, or which reminds me of, to me, one of the biggest things to, that I wanted to make sure we were able to talk about is just the actor who plays Jesus. I mean, that guy is just ridiculous. I don't know where this guy came from. If you did, did, did either of you go to Wikipedia to look up this guy? There's like three sentences about about this 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 actor. Um, really interesting. But stuff, to yeah. me, he just he he just. He carries the enormous, enormous weight which was put put on his shoulders. Oh, by the way, he's also 19 years old at the moment wow. of the time of the filming. Wow. Did you know that? No, I didn't know that. Um, so yeah, I, I just I was just blown away. Uh, this is the third time I've seen it, but each time well. it amazes me. I mean, that, yeah. that's a, so he's he's always in motion, but he's got this poise and this stillness, so that Jesus is both the most mobile figure and also the most uh, stable. You know, especially in his moments of prayer. Mm-hmm. I would say I want to start off with a positive statement. <clears throat> Last time I was negative, you know, we were good friends until we started podcasting <laughs> together. Uh-huh. <laughs> and that's always at risk every episode, mm-hmm. for me at least. I'm sorry. Um, <clears throat> I'm, I would just say, first off, I am really glad that I saw this film. And I actually felt that throughout, like... Um, and I'll, I'll say more of the reasons why, just certain styles, certain scenes. Um, I am, however, I guess I'm a little sensitive to, to actors portraying Christ. It's just, for instance, I, I thought there were some scenes where he, um, like I remember one scene in particular where he's telling parables and the people are it's panning the audience and the people are just kind of talking among themselves children are playing people aren't really paying great attention but but his apostles are paying attention like these grown men are paying attention like he he did have this authority um i did however think uh he struck me as young i mean i i could tell he wasn't 30 and i really do think there's a real difference between a 20 year old and 30 year old i think it made sense um, in real life, that Christ would wait until that age. I think I could just sense, I'm not saying it didn't work at all, this Christ, but that was on my mind the whole time where I never, I actually was meditating more on the scenes, and I think this is Pasolini's point as well. He, I, if I can say this, the good side of his Marxism, there's obviously a bad side, is that he has this love of the common man, like most of those actors were just people from this village in southern Italy, even so mm-hmm. much so that I read they even even like Mary and Joseph at the beginning are just common people. And they even had like voice actors voice over for them because they didn't like their tone of voice. You know, it's like, so mm-hmm. I, I love how you get to share in 
looking, you, you, it's like a movie of the audiences of Jesus. But I felt personally, looking back at Christ, I'm not sure it helped me a lot meditate on him more about his journey. That's me. Um, I, I f- let me be disrespectful. The first time you ever see him at the baptism when he comes by, I thought two things. First, I thought when he appeared, he does resemble a lot his mother. The woman, you know, they're, 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 they're not their veil, but the, the cloth oh, they wear on the their head, head yeah. and it's kind of on their face. I was, he is a funny looking guy, though. He's got the unibrow coming all the way across. And so when there's a close up on that, I'm going to be a real honest observer and just say, I was, <laughs> I was like, wait, is this Jesus? <laughs> okay. <laughs> Well, hey, along along those lines, I just have to... Okay, well, first of all, my experience of Jesus as played by this actor was absolutely the opposite of that. I I just found... His portrayal of Jesus is probably my favorite I've ever seen in cinema. And for me, remember in the Mel Gibson Passion movie, um, I think Gibson said, he said... um, yeah, I wanted to give Jesus a punch in the fa- in the eye right off the bat, so that he would have this swollen eye, so that it would it, we would never have these sort of sentimental portrayals of his of his handsome face going right. through the passion. For me, when I saw you know the the sort of quirks of this actor's face, um, and you're you're zeroing in on the eyebrows there, uh, Father Timothy. Um, but yeah, when I saw that, uh, my first thought was great. You know, just show the show the so-called blemishes um, or irregularities right away, and it immediately destroys the temptation, which I think every filmmaker has to reckon with when they portray Christ to give him this sort of handsome movie star look. And I'm not, I, and I don't disagree with that, Luke. I think we may disagree overall on on the choice of this actor. My main thing is more the age which affected me, but I, I did have that thought. I'm not just trying to enter into conversation. Yeah, sure. I, I did think at times that thought of, okay, mm-hmm. Jesus wasn't always this apparition. Okay, he was actually never an apparition, but, you know, he wasn't always this striking figure. He had a face, as Isaiah says, that no one might recognize. And I, I that did register, and I do appreciate that. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Alan, yeah, had, just can, Father Alan, tell me how, how you, uh, yeah, what, 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 how, did he, how did he come across for you? I guess I didn't really focus too much on his uh, his appearance. I more his manner, as I said, the the anger is what really struck me. And people have compared him, maybe in his irregularity, but also in his maybe the bloom of his youth, to a Byzantine icon, you know, one, one of the more ancient <laughs> Eastern icons, where there are these these kind of oddities, these features that are a little bit distracting. But the, you know, there's a whole theology of that that justifies, you know, this kind of grandeur, but also slight asymmetries and little concrete realities. If you guys don't... Yeah, keep going, Alan. Well, I was just going to bring it back to the anger as a theme and the the sort of aggression, because Father Luke was talking about how the divinity just shone through. And and I see that in, in the anger, too, because, of course, God's wrath is a major theme in the Old Testament, and oftentimes people think that the God of the New Testament is different. He's not angry, he's merciful, and so on. But Jesus is angry here too, and so it it does actually show forth the divinity uh, that was revealed in the Old Testament. It also shows that anger can be a kind of virtue. You know, I Mm -hmm. think we have have at least two common views on on anger in in our cultural moment. One is that it's always bad, 
But then there's also this idea that if you get angry about something, you must be right. Mm-hmm. You know, if, you, if you're this passionate and fired up about something, you must actually be correct. But actually, you know, the idea is that anger properly used should be directed toward actual injustice. And so it's a, it's a, a means, you know, a power with which we rectify injustice. And so it has to be used virtuously. It has to be cultivated. So, you know, when's the last time somebody said, you know, you need to use your anger in this situation. You need to be angry and this would actually be something that could be holy. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, you know, some people can be disturbed by the anger, for example, when he apparently rebuffs Mary and his brothers. But actually, the, the anger is somewhat softened and contextualized by two big themes, and I, and I hope we can talk about these. And they are the fatherhood of God and the blessedness of children. So those two kind of homey themes contextualize the anger and, uh, and justify it ultimately. I'll chip in there just to, with a sense of surprise. I was surprised with the children. A lot, of course, Matthew 18, unless you turn and become like children, he sees a farmer. He and his disciples stumble upon a farmer and his child, and there's like the instance. Or children in the, in, in the audience, the kids. <laughs> I, I love, I want to talk later about the comical elements, but I love with the multiplication of loaves and fishes. You see the empty baskets. They get filled, and they're perfectly ordered. You guys notice how the fish were, like, perfectly aligned? It was like a, yeah. was like a nice catering yeah. <laughs> job. And then you have this cheer from the kids. They're just like, yeah! yeah. <laughs> the, the disciples in the scriptures bring the baskets to them. Here the kids just charge. I also noticed, too, I was surprised that the kids are singing Hosanna when he's, he has his triumphal mm-hmm. entry. And yeah. then he cleanses the temple... Mm-hmm. A moment of anger, righteous anger. And then while he's confronting the Pharisees, the kids actually come back in, which is an addition of the director himself, and kind of are like smiling at him and cheering and calling <laughs> Hosanna. They actually Hosanna twice, 2.0, which right. again is putting in context. He's calling for radical conversion. It seems like there's some anger at what's wrong, but there's also these sensitive moments. Um, when he first arrives in Jerusalem, no, 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 not in Jerusalem. Remember in Nazareth. There's actually not a rejection in Nazareth. There's those criticisms, you know, of mm-hmm. he's the carpenter's son, we know his family, but the, yeah. the children come to him in Nazareth. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. in a lot of the tough scenes, cleansing in the temple, rejection from Nazareth, he actually purposely places children in those scenes, which actually wasn't even placed in the gospel, like, which I thought was actually beautiful and creative. And you even yeah, have I the children, that's, that's like, one the, between him and the Pharisees, you know, like, in the cleansing of the temple, like, when Jesus is having this battle with the Pharisees back and forth, back and forth, the children are just lined up there between the two, just kind of in the crossfire there, and it does create this this f- kind of funny comedic effect, but also... Um, but also, it's very, it's very beautiful to, to just have children present there as well as throughout because, um, I mean, yeah, it just reminds you of just the, the centrality of Jesus's, uh, Jesus's words when he says, you know, unless you become like a, like a child. Uh, just so, so, that, so that, with, with the anger thing, um, it's funny, the first time or two that I saw this movie, I remember the anger definitely was came, came across to me. But to be honest, the, the, watching it this time, I didn't feel like I, I was watching somebody who was angry so much as just just convicted. I mean, there were moments when when anger does come out, come through. Um, but overall, I, my sense was just like, oh my goodness, this is a man who 
means what he says and cares about what he says. And, you know, in particular, you know, there's that moment, which is, which is probably some of, some of the angriest, so to speak, words in the gospel when Jesus says, you know, like, woe to you, Bethsaida, woe to you, Capernaum, you know, if the works had been done in your, in your day, yada, yada. Um, but when he says that here in, in, in the movie, um, he says it with this, this pathos where you sense that he's, he's just, he's so sad on their behalf that they have rejected himself and he's if he is outraged and angry it's just with his knowledge that they have rejected the most important thing in in the cosmos which is himself Um, so yeah just very powerful i want to add as a side note i want to stay on because father alan you introduced not only precious value of children but also i want to get to what you're saying about the fatherhood of god so i'm not trying to reroute us as Mm -hmm. kind of a a little bit lengthy sidebar. I also found from the beginning um, a somewhat comedic element to it. I'm not saying it was a comedy, but like there was a lightness and a creativity. Like even in the music, it begins with the Misa Luba, you know, this fun African polyphonic mass, which you don't expect for a black and white movie on Christ. Because yeah. it shifts between lightness. I mean, I absolutely was captured by the first scene where after the credits are done and this fun music, you have a silent scene and it's on Mary's face mm-hmm. and she's 14 mm-hmm. year old girl. And then you have Joseph's face and their faces both silently say you're pregnant. And then I, I and of course that that's a whole nother theme about how much this movie focuses on faces. I mean, I've never seen a movie that zooms in on so many people's faces exactly. and it is kind of the perspective of God of looking at each of them, yeah. and I, I, I love that about it, and it begins that way. But there are kind of, like, I have a small list here just for fun. Like, there were moments where, in the midst of this meditation, because the movie was that, you're kind of laughing some. Like, even the soundtrack, I love when um, the Magi come, and the arrival of the Magi is by that African-American woman, Odetta, you know, I yeah. feel sometimes like That's a motherless right. child. Right. I'm like, there's this like American soul <laughs> oh, music amazing. with Magi amazing. from the East. There's also uh, like the, there's this old kind of that bluegrass uh, when he's talking about the Sabbath. The Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. There's this yeah, bl- the sort of the old blues song. Yeah, it's by yeah. Blind Willie Johnson. I looked it up. He just and he uses it again for Judas. You know, so oh I mean, you kind of get the sense of like it is still the '60s, and he's serious about this, but he's kind of being artsy and creative. I also, um, I found the rushed quality. I I know he was rushed and intense. Sometimes that was humorous to me. Maybe that's more ironic. Like when Jesus is saying maybe the most important line of the gospel at least in his teaching he who seeks to save his life will lose it he who loses it for my sake and the, that of the gospel will save it and he's doing that as he's just walking away he's like they who do it for their sake will, will, will lose it and then he's just like around the corner it's like wait catch up you know you normally expect him to be standing still um yeah. i also uh just small details like peter when he when he uh, says he'll never betray Jesus. The cock crows, Peter, and Peter's like drinking a jug of wine, which was kind of that. that's right. Or, or even even kind of a lightheartedness when the the main events of death and resurrection. The death they take him down, but instead of like a sorrowful pieta, a guy actually just like tosses the crown of thorns. He just like throws yeah. it, <laughs> like yeah. you know, right. precious relic. He's like put him in a sheet, and then I did. I I, I don't mean to be offensive this and that, but I did find it kind of funny when. 
the resurrection. They're there at the tomb. <laughs> well, first, first he yells from the cross. He's like, ah, and then things start crumbling. And with the resurrection, it's just like the stone just kind of like topples. And uh, it's like, huh, he's not in there. I mean, you don't have CGI. You don't have this and that. Yeah, but it's there, a little rough. It was a little, a little rough. rough. Yeah, it's just... a quick clip. But I, I, I do think the movie was was meant to be somewhat like real and fun and up and down. And so I found comedic elements, but I, I also do see this, this meditation, not only the figure of Christ, but the figure of each face in the audience. Um, I didn't pick up as much. So I did pick up on the children. I think children's a huge theme and reading more on Pasolini who I, I you know, he, he has this love of the common man, especially of children. I think that's a beautiful thing to tie into the, the pages of the gospel. I do think Jesus shared that with him. Where do you, where do you both see um, the fatherhood of God stand out? Um, well, to, to pick up on something that Father Luke said about sadness and ultimately love underlying the anger, I see that also when Jesus says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, I would have gathered you as a hen gathers her brood, but you would not. And so Jesus is, is there's a, a deep love there, and he laments the fact that it's unrequited, and, and he's angry because he's trying to, he's like this mother hen still trying to get the, the chicks under his, his uh, brood. So now, so he, in that case, is a kind of parent figure. But, but he's there on a mission from his father, and, and the Gospel of Matthew, I, th- I think especially, talks about the father, I mean, the father is a, is a huge theme in the, in the uh, Sermon on the Mount, for example. So if I could say quickly, what, what is Jesus angry about? It's that, re, it's that people refuse to be fathered. And I think what, one, of his, one of his tactics, one of the themes that he, that he puts down um, in order to, to get people to think about the father is that he tries actually to, um, let's say, disturb the um, the human family in a number of ways. So right at the beginning, when when he calls his apostles, he tells them, "My mission is going to set families against each other." So he sort of prepares them for all of these difficulties. But at the same time, he says, "But the Father knows all the hairs in your head. You're worth more than many sparrows." So he's saying, "Yes, your family, your family ties are going to be severely tried here." But the compensation is the love of the Father. And likewise, when, when Mary is rebuffed, quote-unquote, uh, the, the justification is, who, are, who really is my family? My family are, are the ones who do the will of the Father, who have the Father as, as Father. So um, it's interesting that Jesus apparently sees, and this is just the Gospel of Matthew, I think, but it, maybe it struck me in this film for some particular reason. He sees created families provision ultimately provisional families as as substituting for god's family in people's lives you know so people people get sort of hung up on their own families or even on human society i mean this is in a certain way that the the problem of jerusalem that they they rest on their uh, laurels as jews and israelites and don't sort of reach out to to the father as as their real familial heritage 
I'll so, just, I'll just so interject, yeah. Father Allen, keep going, but I'll interject just one thing about Jesus. They have the scene of him, who is my mother, who are my brothers, you know, which is from Scripture. They even mm-hmm. add to that, did you notice, that the next scene, he's just with his disciples passing by Nazareth, and he passes yeah. by his front door, and he even just walks past his house without stopping. So I do yeah, think that's I mean, a strong emphasis. That's even an added, one of the few added scenes that's not exactly in the Gospels. Yeah. To, now, now it's really important to realize there that he's actually crying. He's got tears on his face when he, I when he passes that. her by. I noticed that. So, I mean, it's really clear that Jesus loves his mother, and he loves all of the people that he's brusque with. And she's there um, at the resurrection morning, not in the scriptures, but she's there in the movie, right? She's front oh, yeah, row center. Yeah. And she, she's yeah. given a prominent role there at the crucifixion, right. yeah. But I think this is really important to say, just that just to love someone sometimes is to refrain from comforting them. And she gets that, she understands, because she's so spiritually attuned to the Father. And, you know, somewhat ironically, when Jesus says, Who is my mother? It's the one who does the will of the Father. Well, well, Mary fits that description better than anyone. So she's both biologically his mother and spiritually his mother. Jesus and Mary know what's going on, even if at a more superficial level, people are disturbed. Hmm. The, um, that, that scene uh, of, of Jesus rebutting his mother, um, yeah, to me, and, and, I, and also what you were just saying, Father Allen, just about how sometimes to love someone means to not console them um to me that that's sort of a something which comes across throughout the entire entire movie uh one one reason why i think that the film works so so well is that it communicates you know one one of the most central gospel truths which is that loving the the that the, the task of love the task of charity is something which is anything but <laughs> sentimental and and even pleasant sometimes and um so yeah just that that fierceness of christ the the anger of christ um the the not being willing to speak easy words of consolation uh in a sense that that that, that that's that's probably one of the key ways that the whole the whole movie is able to to present the the truth of of Christ, and actually, one one way that I was found myself thinking about it is that, uh, the in in the film, you feel like you really are meeting the Christ of the Gospels. This isn't yeah. just yeah. the Christ of Pasolini versus the Christ of Mel Gibson or the Christ of other Jesus movies. It's like whoa, you come away from this movie being like, I just encountered in some new way the Christ of the Gospels, and it's that yeah. sort of unrelenting and sometimes very severe quality of mm-hmm. the charity which is always overflowing from the heart of of Christ as portrayed there. Yeah, it was a great decision to use the text from the Gospel of Matthew because you know, you, you kind of suspect you expect Pasolini to make him into a bit of a revolutionary, a Marxist revolutionary and um but you know the anger is there in the text, or, or the urgency, whatever we're going with here. You know, that kind of mm-hmm. intensity is right there in the it text. Is. So for you sure. really, it's hard to quibble with uh, his revolutionary portrayal. By the way, did you, go, did you all see this one quote from Pasolini where he was asked why he chose the Gospel of Matthew? Uh, he, he yes, goes, I did. He goes, yeah. the Gospel of John was too mystical. The Gospel of Mark was too vulgar. The Gospel of Luke was too sentimental. Yeah, sorry, Father Luke. Um, 
Yeah, well, we, we, we'll have to differ with them in, right there. Um, no, I thought it was interesting. Somebody, there was some pushback from the Marxists of his time who, who thought that he was reactionary and, you know, he's conceding things to, to a, a pre-anti-Marxist culture. And he, mm. he, uh, he didn't back down. He responded and said, look, Marxism is not uh, above uh, critique, uh, even for me, um, tip- and, and he said, typically Marxists don't appreciate the mysteries of human life, hmm. uh, suffering and death, hmm. and so and, and and the question of God. I mean, the question of religion. So you know, these things are by no means ruled out, whatever whatever the claims may be. Hmm. So so this was a, a project that came from the heart for Pasolini, I think, and and he. I think he's to be um, praised for, for undertaking it. It also was a project that was highly discussed. You know, I just heard of it from you recently, but I mean, I, I had read earlier too in a Roger Ebert um, review that it was it had a premiere in Notre Dame Cathedral with a lot of people watching it. Uh, John Paul Sartre was there and kind yeah. of had this discussion with Pasolini afterwards about you know how Christ doesn't fit Marxists, and they had this anyway. Um, yeah, it's just. Uh, it was dedicated, you know, the movie's dedicated to John the 23rd, as you said. It's, um, I'm, I'm surprised how movies that really made such a big splash by our generation, how we have collective memory loss, that I'm 33 years old, and I'm like, what movie is that? No, I've never heard of it, you know? Yeah, and I'm, and, it's, yeah. and it's, a, it's one of the main Jesus movies, if we're honest about the 20th century, Jesus movies, yeah. you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, I had heard of Franco Zeffirelli, the TV series Jesus and Nazareth, which has its great qualities as well. I don't want to go into a big comparison, but I'm just glad that, um, I, I mean, I'm, I'm actually surprised that someone like Pasolini, you know, given his background, that he was into all other themes. I mean, not to be racist or whatever, but I mean, a lot of his movies, I was just looking at brief synopsis for each. A lot of them deal with prostitution and poverty and, and real issues, but they're... Yeah, they were surprised that they landed on Christ. Um, I, I, apparently, I read, when he said that he was going to be doing this one, like because of the one that he had just done just previously to this one, a lot of Catholics were really worried. They were like, "Wait, really? Pasolini's yeah. going to do a gospel according to Saint Matthew? That's going to be you know a really risky endeavor." I'm gonna we're we're at a, just over the thirty minute mark, so sure. no rush, but maybe we each start well, to just give final on thoughts on that on that topic of being faithful to the subject matter you could you could easily imagine a marxist being interested in jesus teaching teachings about the poor and trying to divorce his teachings from his person and his actual religious um import but i just note that in the way that the sermon on the mount was shot i really want to commend that decision because you remember how this goes it's jesus in different settings and and the camera is just focused on his face and so you get to feel Mm -hmm. like you're in the audience looking at him preach in these different settings maybe you're even apostle traveling from place to place and it really brings home this point which is couldn't be made better by by a, a believing christian and that is that these teachings whether they be about the the poor or about the father cannot be separated from the person of christ mm-hmm so, you know, the Sermon on the Mount is often anthologized in, in like, ethics books and, and history of religion stuff. And, but, in a sense, the teaching is the teacher. 
And it comes from this historic Christ, because even Pastor Laney, who said he didn't believe in the divinity of Christ, still believed in the historical Christ, these historical Mm -hmm. teachings. Yeah. Mm -hmm. They're not abstract. Yeah. Uh, Any final remarks from either of you? I have a few, just for myself, I have a brief list. I will just kind of run it real quick. Um, I, this is a personal quest. I was born on March 5th. And I have seldom found any significant life events happening on March besides the Boston Massacre, which isn't something you're, like, cheering about. Yeah. Pasolini was born on March 5th. I finally got somebody who I share a birthday with. I've been looking for a long time. And not that we're the same kind of person. I I did find two quotes of his very beautiful. He he says he, he described himself as an unbeliever, but an unbeliever who has a nostalgia for belief. And that's really yeah. honest, I think. And he, he tried to make it, you know, faithful to the Gospels. He also said, too, they thought, are you trying to, like, interpret things? He said, I want to consecrate things again, to re-mythologize. Like, he, mm-hmm. he may have not believed in the divinity of Jesus, but he believed in, in holiness or, you know, certain qualities. Um, I, wanted, I, I, I guess I would summarize my viewing of this in two ways. The first would be this. I, I will remember a lot of scenes. Mostly what I'll take away are the scenes. Um, I found so many fascinating scenes from the intro one with Mary and Joseph, just in silent stare at each other. I love the jump to the silent cut where when Jesus is taken in the Garden of Eden, um, it jumps right again to the face of Peter, who's following him. Mm -hmm. And then it actually, the camera is from Peter's point of view how he's watching Pilate, watching the trial at a distance. It doesn't ever zoom in. I found that to be really memorable. Um, I found the temptation scene with Satan to be really memorable. Hey, Satan's walking across the desert, kicking up dust. Like, here comes this traveler. And then he gets there, and I love that actor, too. He's just this Mm -hmm. guy. He's, yeah. He doesn't look scary. He's just this, like, farmer. And he has his mouth open, and he's kind of looking... (laughs) Yeah, uh, I, yeah, I remember, yeah, I'll always great. remember the priest hats, the high priest hats were high yeah, fashion. That's right. That's very right. high fashion. I love the camera angle for Jesus walking on water. It's black and white, but it's that shimmering mm-hmm. sea, and he's just walking at a distance. That was the one mm-hmm. camera angle I thought was so memorable. Not really when he gets close and Peter tries to walk to him. That wasn't as good, but it's funny, too. Pasolini said that was the one scene, plus the, the, the multiplication of loaves and fish, that he was most ashamed of. He was like, it was just piety. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because mm-hmm. he, he thought it was... Mm-hmm. Anyway, um, mm-hmm. I, I love the, all, all the faces. Like I th- When Herod is watching Salome dance, that was just mm-hmm. one of those scenes, too, where it's just like, it's almost uncomfortable how much he focuses on people's faces, but they're just mm-hmm. these great... Um, Scenes. I also didn't realize that this is background. I, I had read that he not only used common people as his actors, but some of some of the people were famous like Marxist philosophers or even like continental mm-hmm. guys like Giorgio Agamben, who's still living and is a continental philosopher, was Philip. Just like some friends had just joined in. Wow. And he yeah. just like they just went down to this town in southern <laughs> Italy. I will remember yeah. too one last scene is the agony in the garden, because when they focus on the sweat on his forehead, there's no music. You hear people, like, chatting and whistling in town. It's like people Mm. are kind of going about their evening, but here in the Mm -hmm. quiet garden, Mm -hmm. he's totally alone, and they didn't dress Mm -hmm. that up. So those are some of the scenes that, like, jump out to me. I... My last thing, too, besides remembering the scenes, I'm actually going to, as a priest, um, sometimes, too, for famous people... 
I think of this, I'm going to offer a mass for the Raposa Pasolini. So I read that he was murdered, um, and he obviously led a somewhat conflicted life. And so I just think it's kind of a beautiful thing we can do is, you know, it's the prayer of the church for his repose. Obviously, he wasn't completely off the mark. So that was kind of, I'm not saying that like a podcast announcement. Guess what I'm going to do? I actually came away with that. Like Sometimes, too, if I like love a movie for a director, I'm like, I'm going to say mass for that director. This is... That's a guy great. that died. Yeah. My last thing, yeah. too, just comic things, the translations. I, I saw this one translation in English. If, if They're saying is, Jesus is questioning the guys in the temple. Was John from God or was he not? And they say, if we say he's, we don't believe he's from God, but if we say he's from men, we'll be mobbed. That's what, I was just like, that's pretty like cool. That. <laughs> and then he says, them, let no one call you rabbi. But in Italian, he says, let no one call you signori. Signori, mm. signori. I was like... Let no one call you signore. Those are what I'm remembering as well as appreciating, though not in the same way. What do you think, Father Luke? Any last words? Last words. Well, the first last word is just to to note that it was literally, you know, four weeks ago or something, talking about this film with you, Father Alan, um, that made me first think about, oh, my gosh, we should do a podcast. This would be fun. Oh, just to note that this this film, Pasolini's Gospel of Matthew, started all this off. So thanks to Pasolini Great. for that. Um, and then, just one of the things I remember you mentioned in that initial conversation about it. You, you were you were touching on, and you mentioned this very briefly uh, earlier in the conversation just now, but about how about that how how Jesus is always walking, and that mm-hmm. so many of the things that he says is while he's walking, and. And so I was looking for that that little motif while I was watching it, you know, again, this this time. And uh, I was struck by, indeed, how prominent that feature is. And it speaks so powerfully to me of, of um, just the way it's like, wow, you meet Christ, and it's not just, okay, here's this, this man telling me these these truths which I can just simply sit and listen to. It's like, no, he's, he's inviting you into a whole new life. And, you know, the way that he, you know, says it in, in John is, I am the way, right? And yeah. so watching this, this, this Jesus walk through that landscape with the disciples, sometimes literally like trying having to trip over themselves just, just to keep up with him, it just speaks to us of how like, wow, yeah, Jesus is the way. And if you want to follow him, you got to like run in his path because you might not, uh, because he might, he might go out of sight if you're not paying attention. Um, the last thing I just wanted to touch on is, which I think just has to be mentioned. We touched a little bit about, about, on, about how the music is, is, uh, you know, notable. Uh, for me, the music is not just like, a neat little feature. It was like a whole other character in the movie. It's like a like a dominant character. Uh, I, the music is almost continuous. It just there's there's very there are scenes of silence and they're very they really stand out because of how much music there is. But most of the time, the music tracks are just going one after the other, and he gives special special prominence to box the passion according to saint matthew uh and that work of bach is so gorgeous and and you know when bach writes he's not only trying to express something or whatever he's off he's off he's really trying to embody eternal truths heavenly truths in the time bound form of music and in this particular piece of music that he's writing it's uh it's 
it's about the passion of, of Christ. And so to me, the music spe- speaks throughout the film so powerfully to the, the mixture of divinity and pathos, the mixture mm-hmm. of Jesus as both divine and as a, a man of flesh and blood who was, who, was, who was going through enormous emotions in his human heart um, as he, as he walks, walks among us. Uh, yeah. So yeah, music, big deal in the, oh. in the movie. All right. Well, thanks, Father Luke, Father Timothy. Next time we're looking at a film by the Belgian brothers, the Darden brothers. The film is called La Promesse from the year 1996. And I think that you both will uh, really like it if you haven't seen it already. And, I, have, uh, I have neither seen it nor heard of it. That's what's so exciting about yeah. this list. No, it's, it's going to be good. It's going to be really good. All right, everybody. We'll catch you next time. And we're going to be sending you, sending you off with... The Misa Luba, little Congolese setting for the Latin Mass, the Gloria. Here we go. There you go. Thank you.